0: Hello and welcome to the Long Talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Hi, I'm Paul and I'll be giving you your today and it's an exciting one today. We have got Bowls New Zealand online with um, Chris Lander. How are you doing, sir?
2: G'day, Paul. How are you? I'm well.
0: Good, good. And um, the uh, obviously we've got a, a lot to unpack because during this COVID-19, you guys have been in the news um, around your greens and stuff. But... Before we get into all that, how did you get into into bowls?
2: Um, well, I've been in bowls a couple of years only. Um, the only involvement my family has had in playing the game comes from my maternal grandparents and from my father, who've both been playing for ever basically. Um, but I haven't played the game, and I'm just starting to get into playing it now. But I've been working with Bowls New Zealand for about almost exactly two years, actually. Uh, and the way I got into it was that um, my association with Mark Cameron, who's our CEO, um, was one that we uh, established when we were both working in cricket. And um, Mark gave me a shout sort of, I don't know, early 2018 when I was finishing a contractual role with New Zealand cricket and asked me if I'd like to help him out with a an a, uh, Australasian event that we were hosting in Wellington, which is my hometown. And, uh, and obviously the rest of the gang are in Auckland, so he needed someone on the ground for, I think it was a couple of months, I can't remember exactly, um, to assist us to run the Bowls Premier League event, which is an Australian tournament, but we hosted one of the two um, tournaments that was hosted in that year, and indeed the following year, and that was hosted at the Nine Eye Bowling Club, which was pretty fresh off the, off the line um, in terms of its uh, facilities. It had only recently been established as a as a first-class indoor facility, um, and so I had a couple of months working with that club and with the people um, who were helping us to deliver the event, namely Sky Television, Bowls Australia, our own people, obviously, and really enjoyed it. It was it was a refreshing break from from the experiences that I'd had from cricket. Not that they were bad, but that it was certainly good to be back in the grassroots space and working in clubs rather than uh, you know dealing at a very high level with international. Um, events etc etc albeit this one obviously was an australasian event um but yeah that's what got me into it and and we delivered that event and it finished around about now two years ago i think it was probably next week in in real time but yeah essentially two years ago we finished that event went very well um and then mark gave me another call and asked me if i wouldn't mind joining him i think it was august of that year um to work on a number of things that we had going on at the time and he was keen to have some support at, at senior management level, which I was delighted to give him, um, and that turned into a full-time position 1st uh, of May last year, so that's nearly 12 months that I've been in a full-time role as the general manager of clubs and community for And
0: um, So, I guess, you, so you're actually a professional sports administrator then, rather than someone who's sort of come through the grassroots
2: of the sport, uh, yeah, so which other right. um,
0: sports have you worked in?
2: Sure. Um Mainly cricket, to be honest. Um, Started off in 1997 um, in a club cricket manager's role with Auckland Cricket. Was with them for 13 years. Moved to Napier to get out of Auckland. Spent two years there running a rugby club. Um, And that was a lot of fun. Napier Pirates Rugby Club. Really enjoyed that. Uh, And then um, moved to Wellington in 2013 and took on a role with Cricket World Cup, um, which I worked on in two roles for two years. And then uh, followed that up with a 18-month, 15-month, something like that stint at Central Districts Cricket as an interim CEO for them. And then another cricket role for about 15 months again, I think it was, maybe 16, uh, which was the Under-19 World Cup, which New Zealand Cricket hosted in 2018, January 2018. Um, and it was at the end of that that Mark contacted me and said, would I help him out with this bowls gig? And, and here we are. So that's... 20, what's that, 23 years in a bit of a, in a bit of a hurry. But yeah, that's well, no, it's basically so what I've
0: done. You've got experience of, um, of, of managing grassroots with, with, with the rugby club. You've got experience of managing multiple clubs. You've also got experience of some, a, uh, the cricket world cup is one of the biggest global events, uh, around I me. Mean, it's not quite as big as say, Olymp- it's not, it's not quite on the same level as Olympics and, um, And rugby world cup but it's the next level down it's it's in that it's in yeah i think as far as as numbers
2: go as far as numbers go it's probably it's not as big as fifa obviously and it's not as big as the olympics um i'm not sure what the numbers are around um it and rugby world cup but given india's involvement in cricket it's it's it would arguably be bigger than rugby world cup it was a fantastic event to be involved in i really enjoyed that um but it all goes pretty quickly when you've only got a about, you know, well, that was a 12-month gig with them and a 11- or 10-month gig um, delivering their qualifying tournament, which ultimately put Scotland and UAE through to the main draw, and New Zealand cricket hosted that at late notice, which was my role to project manage that that um, event. With an awful lot of help, I have to say, from the Cricket World Cup staff that we had in Wellington um, and, a, and a big staff in Melbourne as well. Obviously, that was a, a bi, bi-nation hosting event, Um but yeah, it was all over pretty quickly, and um, and here we are. What was that? It doesn't seem like five years ago, but it was. So yeah. I really it. Wow,
0: because I, I remember yeah, going to two, two that, games at um, two games at Eden Park. Uh, and look, I, the, the the public response to that uh, to that World, Freak World Cup was was all positive. So well done in, in running that. Congratulations, uh, that was uh, you did you did a very good job.
2: Um, yeah, look, we're very pleased with it. it. Went really well. Helps when the home team's playing well. That was always a bonus. Yeah, <laughs> and to have the two host countries in the final was magnificent too. So it was great. So, so, so as you say,
0: the, I mean you've, you've dealt with it there. To, yeah, one of the largest events in in the world, uh, then also that, the big one of the under twenties, and then you've managed all those cricket clubs up and down in, in central. So uh, you say, coming back to into bowls, you found it's much. Uh, um, there's you, you don't have the same level of exposure. Um, there's not the same money in the game in, in in the sport, but. It's a more
2: more more community-owned,
0: more community feel
2: about it? Very much a community game. Um, we obviously have a high-performance program and we have some fantastic players that are, you know, in the medals often when they're going to world world events, be they Commonwealth Games or Trans-Tasman or World Championships or whatever. We've got some really high-class players and people like Joe Edwards and Gary Lawson and Caitlin Inch and Sharon, Shannon McElroy and, and various others who, you know, Probably grumpy i haven't mentioned their names but you know we, we we go all right um and we've in recent times put together a really good high performance program which all of the players are now buying into along with their coaching um support staff and uh, you're right we're doing this i wouldn't say we're doing it on a shoestring but we certainly don't have anything like the budget that that a, a rugby or a cricket or a, or a um, netball even in this country would have um but we make it work and um and it's it's a lot of fun you know we the role that I'm in is, is very much based around the grassroots of the game. The general manager of clubs and communities' role is just that, to look after the 478 clubs um, that we have in this country from top to bottom. And there's 27 regional centres who are in various um, guises throughout the country. We've got some that are just run literally off a dining room table at home and others that have got offices and, and staff and so forth. So um, it's, it's really nice to be back in that sort of coalface space, you know, where we're talking to the people that are delivering the game every single day of every single season um, and trying to get alongside them and let them know that we're here to be adding value rather than just, you know, there for a for a top 2% in a high-performance space.
0: But uh, in that high-performance high space, not your space, but in that high-performance space, uh, uh, do, you, do you have a bit like Cycling in New Zealand, have a centre in in one place, something I like they're, they're centred in, in Cambridge, or is it... Uh, Or or are they spread around the country and it's done more remotely with temporary camps when they work together?
2: Yeah, very much so at the latter. We've got uh, players that are based in all cities in this country and some that are based in Australia as well who are, um, I wouldn't say they're more professional because that's unfair to those that are here, but but they're paid. A lot of those people are paid to be playing and, and coaching the game in Australia where we don't have the budgets for that here. So. Um, our high-performance squads, male and female, and development squads below them um, are very much scattered around the country. So, yeah, we, we try and bring them together on several occasions through the, through the uh, year, be that during season or off-season, um, and depending on what it is that we've got coming up next and where that might be, we try and tailor our um, placement of those camps um, to suit Wherever the the next big event might be, so you know if it's going to be in the UK, then we'll be playing on greens that are a bit slower than um, if we our next event is on the Gold Coast, for example, where the greens are a lot faster. So there'll be some um, some uh, discussion between the high performance, you know, people, um, be they key players, coaches, and and their management, um, as to exactly how that will play out. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's not my space, so I don't want to get too deep into uh, into covering it off. I'm sure you can have a good conversation with Kaushik Patel, who's our high performance manager at some stage, and, and he'd be delighted to share that with you.
0: Cool. Uh, but, but that does mean that they, if they're spread around, your the the contact between the high performance people and the community people is much closer. They're not sort of yeah, sealed, sealed yeah. off in the same yeah. way that like a cricket team are. They will actually Very much they will so. to local events. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, very so. much so. I mean, they, the key part of their program for a year, is to be involved in in centre events and in national events um, that are played around the country against you know players of um, lesser ability, but still of a high standard. And uh, that's the beauty with bowls. You can not only can you play it from cradle to grave, but you can you can upset a champion every now and then, and indeed play on the same green um, through quirk of the draw against a world champion. You know, Joe Edwards and Shannon McElroy went into ver- recent tournaments. Just playing against rank and file bowlers, where well, you don't see that in cricket or tennis or rugby or anything. Well, you do a little bit in rugby, I guess, in club cricket, and maybe a little bit in in, um, in, in club cricket. But it's very rare those high performance players are involved at that level. Um, and certainly, when you get up into the you know sort of world champion of tennis, you wouldn't see Roger Federer playing um, playing in a local event and you know being drawn against whoever it might be, me or you, for that matter. We happen to enter the draw and get the bad draw, you know. So look, it's fantastic, and the community has very much always been that way. They they have a real affinity towards everybody, um, and there's rivalries, of course, between clubs and centres and so forth. But the general overview of all of these big events that we do have is that they are very much a celebration of the game and an opportunity to renew friendships with you know people that you haven't seen for a while because they live at the other end of the country or offshore or you know whatever it might be. So. Yeah, look, it's an exciting space to be in and um, as I say, what we're trying to do is is provide good opportunities for those players to enjoy their game but not get in the way of them enjoying it and try and add value to the clubs and the people that are playing in those clubs rather than, you know, just drawing off it and and making it hard for them.
0: So, I guess, I'm assuming you're a summer sport um, obviously not something to be done in in the rain and things Uh, so... Did you got through most of your season before the lockdown happened? Have you lost? lost Yeah, we did.
2: We lost, we did lose a couple of events. Um, and indeed while we are a summer sport, you're absolutely right with the advent of a number of indoor facilities around the country, some older than others, um, and covered, covered rather than indoor, if you like, where, where we've got roofs and no walls. Um, there is an opportunity now to play beyond our traditional summer season, um, and start a bit earlier as well. Um, so the events that we lost were some in March and April that were national events, including a national interclub event that we were reinstating for the first time this year after a few years missing, um, and our national intercenter event, which is the representatives of each region, be that Manawatu, Wellington, you know, Canterbury, Southland, whatever it might be. So kind of tour, um, twenty-seven of those, a
0: provincial tour uh, kind
2: of thing. Yeah, exactly right. And we bring them all together for four days and figure out who the you know. First of all, who the best 16 are, and then we whittle away at that to get down to two um, in men's and women's format. So that's a big event for us. And we were, you know, within days of of staging that when when we went into lockdown. So it was um, a disappointment to a lot of people. But, you know, there's bigger things to worry about than games of bowls when this sort of stuff's going on. So we lost those two events and we cancelled the secondary schools or postponed the secondary schools tournament, which was to be held. Recently in Auckland, I think, I can't remember exactly what the dates were, but that we're hoping to stage that again in December. Um, so that'll actually have a 2020 and a 2021 event. But the rest of those we expect now will be cancelled and we'll just roll on to the next season. Um, and our champion of champion events, which are played in July over um, longer weekends, Friday through Sunday, um, where players who have become the singles or pairs or whatever it might be, champion of their region, get to play against their counterparts from other parts of the country across a two- or three-day weekend. And, um, you know, that's prestigious, but again, difficult to um, to stage that when we don't know some of the champions already. Yep. And so for that reason, we've, we've decided that we will postpone or indeed probably cancel the um, the July events and, and just kick on to the new season, which will start in earnest probably, you know, November if we can get clear of this horrible problem we've got at the moment.
0: So you, you mentioned you've got some, like, 400-odd clubs so how many have got access to indoor facilities or covered facilities?
2: Um, of the four hundred and seventy, that's a really good question. I think of the 478 that we've got, there's probably only about 15 that would have a covered or indoor facility that they would genuinely be able to play the form of bowls we're talking about on a 36 metre square green. Mm-hmm. Some have got indoor capability and smaller, shorter greens. Um, but maybe 15, something like that but it's growing that number um, and of course those that have a, a facility like that in their city, uh, then they do have access to that so um, the, the big ones that have come in in recent times nine I mentioned, obviously that can feed everyone from Wairarapa um, Kapiti, even Manawatu, Wellington region so there's a lot of clubs in that space that can, that can get in there and, and use that if they wish to just for fun or for events um, obviously, that's something they need to sort out with Nine Eye, but but it's it's there and can be used. And indeed, you know we've used it, as I said at the top of this interview, around the, the um, Australasian event that we had there a couple of times in the last two years. Um, and then Orewa in Auckland and Remuera in Auckland have, in the last twelve months, established covered greens. Um, there's been uh, covered green in Invercargill for a number of years. There's a couple in um, Hamilton, Waikato. Um, and plans just about everywhere else in the country for this sort of thing to happen, you know, within the next five to ten years. Um, clearly, you know, there's going to be some funding issues off the back of what we're experiencing right now that may slow some of that progress down, but uh, it's still very much a a way we think we can future-proof the game because the game is becoming more and more a... a um, a game for everyone rather mm. than just for those chosen few members that play there's an awful lot of corporate people an awful lot of people who just want to have a bit of fun um and and come and play the game without feeling like they have to be tied to a, an enormous club membership that's going to draw them into you know regional events and so forth it's 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 about participation for us and we're up into about 130,000 people that have experienced bowls in the last 12 months which is a big number mm. um so yeah we're really thrilled about that and so you're, Very keen to establish.
0: You're trying to establish things a bit like sort of white collar boxing, but white collar bowls and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah so I guess you
2: sort of, could argue that. I mean, we, we just, what we want to do is to show people how available the game is, how much fun it is. Doesn't matter whether you're 15 or even 10 years old or 100 years old, you can still play this if you can stand up or sit in a wheelchair and, and play against people that are not that. They're, you know, they're 40 or 50 and, you know, able bodied or reasonably able bodied, having come out of a. Career in sport, whether that's been a rugby or a cricket or whatever, and their bones are starting to give up a wee bit on the contact that they've had in those codes, and, and this just gives them an opportunity to get out and have some fun and retain that competitive edge with some mates, and then go inside and have a counter meal and a beer and go home. It's um, you know it's, it really is an opportunity that that we think we can make some good gains with in the next two to four years, and especially off the back of this COVID nineteen thing, um, there will be plenty of people looking for something to do. Um, which, you know, they can't do on a rugby field or, a, you know, a cricket field or whatever, just because of the, the um, impact that this thing's going to have. So we've got a job to do to sell that to people, but we're, we're hopeful that we can certainly, you know, make some good inroads for that and, and strengthen our clubs in the process of doing so.
0: Talking about that accessibility side of things, uh, you said anyone basically who can sort of pick up a bot we When I've gone ten pin Bowling, they have like little ramps for kids to use. Do you have that sort of facility as well for for, for sort of able or for uh, challenged Absolutely.
2: people? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You can use what they call a lifter, so you can you can grab the bowl with a um, if you if you think about a, a short walking stick with a with a trigger on it that can just grab the bowl and you just turn it into a pendulum for yourself so that you don't have to bend down to pick it up. You don't have to bend down to deliver the bowl, and that's a perfectly legitimate way of playing the game. It's it's considered as part of World Bowls equipment um, for someone that you know has got a fused back or whatever it might be that prevents them from doing that and ditto as long as the wheelchair's got the right wheels and isn't going to eat into a, a green and, and damage it then you can, you can play when you're sitting down as well um, and the size of bowls is the other thing so a, a child it's of 8 or 9 or 10 with small hands um, is going to need a smaller bowl than someone who's you know got a hand like a baseball mitt um, so yeah, they range from size I think size zero zero, which is the smallest, right up to size five, and the weights vary obviously based on on the um, size of the bowl as well. Um, and our clubs are reasonably well equipped to cope with that, um, and certainly we'll be we'll be working pretty hard to make sure they are, especially for those that are going to be taking on an opportunity of you know pushing this game out there on a on a regular basis to the rank and file rather than the usual membership.
0: Yeah, and people who want to have a go, I mean the, the clubs have bowls that they can use you don't have to own
2: your own sort of bowls do you no not at all absolutely they do Uh, and again that's a piece that we're very keen to establish with a number of our clubs to make sure that not only do they have those bowls but they've got a little bit of um, educational opportunity for people that are coming into the place and want to understand a bit about it the the beauty of bowls is that a number of our players probably more than 75 percent have got a um a demographic of, you know, 70 plus years of age. So in a lot of cases, these people have got a lot of time on their hands and they love being able to tell people what a wonderful game it is that they're considering becoming part of. Um, And so that sort of coach slash volunteer role that has been difficult for a lot of other clubs because they're time poor, um, their administrators are time poor. Um, That's not necessarily the case with with our demographic and our um, administrative strength. Um, there's a lot of people that are you know in their 70s and even in their 80s that are still very able-bodied but but in a lot of cases also are quite lonely you know they're at home either on their own or with one other person um, and the fact that the bowling club is there to give them an opportunity to um, engage with the community um, and and if they can encourage people to play the game and, and get as much of enjoyment out of it as they have for the last 30 40 50 years then they'll take that opportunity what we have to do as bowls new Zealand is to encourage that, and to make sure they've got the the resources to to be able to achieve it.
0: Oh yeah, I mean there's there's multiple a um, bunch of things I'm unpacking there. Um, but you, you talk about being part of the community, and it, it really is. I mean, it's, um, uh, yeah, I've got in-laws who live in uh, the uh, the Coromandel, in one of the small town, small towns around there, and yeah, it's like the fishing club, the bowls club is is an integral part of the community where people um, catch up and uh, see each other. And just because you have a summer season of playing doesn't mean it's not open. Um, on Friday afternoons or on evenings um, or at the weekends draw no, off season as well. I mean, these are still these are hubs where yeah, people right. meet, have a drink,
2: have a boxing. Very much so. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it, They are, and especially, as you say, in those smaller communities where there aren't the, the greater opportunities for these sort of meeting places, the bowling club, the fishing club, the, the football club, whatever it might be, do become very, very crucial in terms of just a source of engagement for, for people. And, and, of course, again, to the, speaking to the demographic that we have, um, in a lot of cases, you know, 75- and 80-year-olds, especially women, and I don't want to generalise here, don't necessarily want to go into a noisy pub, which is full of 30-year-olds that have just watched a Super 15 rugby game or whatever it might be. Um, and so a bowling club or a quieter space is a much better option. And, um, you know, you're right, you don't need to be playing the game in order to... Um, to enjoy the facilities,
0: the and one what, what of those things you mean you talk about your demographics. What one of the things I have come across, and, and it's coming across in the way you're saying about about sort of improving all the facilities, is that whilst Bowls might have a uh, have an image of having an older demographic, you're from an administration point of view, you guys are one of the more having I mean, talked to several now, very dynamic in that you you've, you're very quick to pick up on opportunities. You can you can, you can see you are in a growth stage of the sport, seeing that you've got opportunities on you.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Mark Cameron's been in this role for four years now, I think, or nearly four years. Um, and there have been a number of things that he's wanted to implement to make some change in the way that the game is seen by New Zealanders and the way that people engage with the game. And that includes getting them to play it, but also includes just creating an interest in the game for those that wish to understand who's doing well in it and who some of the people that are involved in it might be. Um, And we've still got some work to do in that space around trying to encourage, not necessarily creating household names, but, you know, having personalities in the game that are capable of selling it well without doing the hard sell, if you like. They're just, you know, good people that are talking to other people and saying, hey, look, you know, this is a lot of fun. You want to come and give it a crack. Um, And here's how we play it you know, whether it be at a common games level or just in a in a um, club scenario. And look, I think there's very great opportunities for that, definitely.
0: Now, uh, obviously, the, there are different surfaces you play on. You've talked about the grass um, indoors. Clearly, you're on a carpet, I believe. Um, rather than yes, on a, you are, yeah. Um, yep. ra- rather yep. than grass. Uh, having looked over the fence at a couple of, a couple of clubs, there's, there's other types of sort of all-weather pictures as well, isn't there?
2: Yeah, so the greens, um, natural greens, we've got. Uh, I want to say about three, uh, four hundred and fifty of those in the country. They are weed rather than grass per se, uh, but they are a natural surface. And there's three or four different types of weed, and in some cases they're hybrids of two of those in the same um, in the same green. Um, they are clearly a technical um, issue for our greenkeepers to take care of, and Um, depending on where you are in the country and how much wind you have and how much rain you have and how much sunshine you have will dictate as a rule anyway which surface you will likely choose to to implement and and maintain at your club. But the advent of um, artificial surfaces in the last 20 odd years I suppose has allowed clubs to create a surface that doesn't require as much maintenance and does allow a a greater amount of involvement or of activity on it, Um, and especially for clubs that maybe, you know, don't have a greenkeeping solution anymore um, but still wish to play the game. Um, Clubs that have a great deal of corporate or casual activity um, where the players, without wanting to be um, difficult... Um, towards the club, those players are not as familiar with what they should and shouldn't be doing on a green. So yep. what they're wearing you know, on their feet, the way that they're moving up and down the green. So you know, there's not going to be as much damage on an artificial green as there is on a, on a natural green if people are wearing the wrong footwear or running up and down it or, you know, whatever, dropping the bowl on it or whatever it might be, you know. Um, and I think we've got a couple of hundred artificial greens around the country of different types. Um, there's a number of different suppliers, and as technology changes, the carpets get, you know, tighter, um, more expensive, certainly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's there's a number of different weaves that are available from different manufacturers, and um, it's again, it's a bit of a horse for a course. Are
0: there are some some dirt or gravel kind of surfaces as
2: well, or or not? Oh, right. uh, no, no, that's that's pretty much it. Um, there will obviously, underneath an artificial, and indeed under a, a um, natural, you'll have a drainage requirement. So there'll be scoria, or there'll be lime, or there'll be whatever to give you a
0: oh, solid base
2: that does not hold water.
0: I might have seen a couple of greens under development. And thought that that was under out. development,
2: yeah, very much so. Yep, absolutely, um, and, and indeed, you know, if they've been scarified or, or you know going under under massive maintenance, they may well be stripped right back and, and regrown and reseeded. So that yeah. can definitely happen. Now
0: one of the big points was, I say, about looking after these greens. Now for me, a lawn, you just cut it, right? So if it's, if it's left to, to grow for a couple of weeks, so what? You just cut it back down to the same level and it's still a lawn. Yep. Um, looking at, but, but reading, reading the reports that things like um, golf greens and also your bowling greens, uh, they can't just be left to grow for a while and, and cut back. They, they do, do require quite a lot of maintenance.
2: Yeah, I think on ongoing maintenance is the trick, trick to it. Um, and it, it's less about the length of, of uh, leaf or, or um, natural surface um, growth than it is about maintaining any problem you might get through heat and wind and rain and so forth, creating disease um, and, and putting mildew and moulds and, and various other you know things we don't want on the green in there and if you can't attend to that quickly um, then it can become a very big problem quite quickly um, and so the ability to maintain it, um, our essential maintenance on the green certainly is to mow it because that means that it's less easy for any windborne borne um, disease or, or gremlins um, to get caught in the, in the green um, but also allows the greenkeeper just to check on You know, problem areas he may have had or she may have had Um, with regard to, you know, this particular corner is susceptible to this because there's a tree hanging over it that drops a, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's pine cones or whatever. Um, And that can create a disease because it holds, you know, pine needles in it and and that can impact. So the ability just to keep an eye on things is the imperative. Um, And that was why we were so pleased to get that. Um, okay from MBIE the other day, a week ago. Yeah, really so great. Yeah, I think you
0: had what, about two weeks where the where the greens couldn't be couldn't be looked after.
2: Yeah, it. it's probably more like three, three by the time we went. Um we 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 went I can't remember exactly, but it was about that. I think we, we, we were told on Tuesday last week, which was the day after Easter obviously that we we're okay to go. Um and I think that was yeah, all about three weeks, nineteen days maybe something like that. Right. So I, don't, I haven't heard of any disasters, but I think we might have had we still been in this position now or, or in a week's time. So yeah, we're very grateful for the the um, exceeding to our request, shall we say? Yeah.
0: Um, the other point we, just, we sort of talked about earlier was yeah, that people do go in the clubhouse all year round, um, and obviously a lot of the clubs will, I guess will make a uh, will have a lot of their income be basically over the bar or over or or through food served. Uh, how are your clubs coping with this lockdown and having like a month, well, it's going to be probably closer to, to two months, I guess by the end of this at least, uh, of that lack of income? Do you foresee do see any problems in that kind of space?
2: Uh, yes, we do. Um, but as you said a little earlier on, we are at towards the end of our season. Um, and so in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, our bowling clubs would have been shutting down around about now anyway, end of April. Um, and and not quite mothballing but certainly going into a, a mild form of hiatus shall we say until October November, well September, October um, so the costs that would be expected to be met through that period are a lot less than they would be during a, a playing season obviously because you're not having to you know, look after the people that are coming in and out and restocking your bar and paying your staff to man the bar if that's what you do and all these sorts of things so there will be a wee bit of a, a lull period where we have an opportunity to find out exactly how our clubs are going to cope a number of them will be fine um, they have good reserves and they're in good shape in terms of being able to just manage that storm or weather that storm um, others are affiliated with cosmopolitan clubs rsa's um, grander scale um, facilities and they will you know operate in the same way that they have previously at certain times with other things going on like darts and and um i don't know um you know billiards and snooker and, and so forth that happen in there from sporting perspective and there's also other uses of a lot of these club rooms for for non-sporting activity you know dance groups and and um uh, i don't know um bingo hall sort of stuff and and, you know rotary club meetings and all that sort of stuff so those activities will still carry on within the legislation that allows it Um, but once we get to the start of the season I think the big problem will be um, the ability to generate revenue through uh, gaming machine funding um, which a lot of our clubs obviously well I wouldn't say they rely on but they certainly benefit from the support of And it's realistic that that's going to be harder to get in the next wee while because there's going to be, you know, months of very little activity on those machines in the next wee while. So we have to think about how we cope with that. Sadly, Bowles New Zealand is not in a position with, you know, oodles of money in the bank to be able to, you know, bankroll everyone through this. But we hope that we can provide some good advice and and opportunities for them to just think a bit about how they might change the way they're doing things really and, and get a bit smarter with the way that they're running their place and whether it needs to be open all of the time and if it is what they can do to engender more people to come through it etc cetera, etc cetera. so we're going to hopefully put together some things there that that um that we can talk to our clubs about in the near future we're not there yet but um, some events hopefully that that can yeah hopefully make it a bit easier for them than it might otherwise be but yes it's an issue we don't know how big yet uh, but we're not expecting it to be a simple solution either
0: right the you mentioned in there earlier on about the schools uh, championships that you uh, had to um, postpone. The so how many schools are you, in? are you are you in schools and are you in many primary schools as well? Or is it just secondary schools that you're kind of in at the moment?
2: Um, generally, it's secondary schools, and generally, it is uh, a relationship between the club and potentially the centre um, and those schools. Some of them will literally border. A, a school and will have a very tight relationship with that school others will have relationships through um, through people so you know parents or grandparents that play in the club that have got uh, an interest in seeing these you know these kids having an opportunity um, teachers who are very keen to ensure that a lot of their players or a lot of their kids uh, have a sport available to them that is one they can play i mean as, as you'd appreciate there's you know there's plenty of athletes, inverted commas, out there. But there's also a lot of kids that aren't athletes in the pure sense of the word. They're not the faster, stronger, bigger type people. Um, And so those that are not as strong, um, not as social in a lot of cases, you know, they're just sort of a bit reticent when they're they're sort of working in a group. But bowls is a game that that lends itself nicely to anyone. I mean, you can be 25 stone or 7 stone and and play against each other and, and no one has an advantage, you know. Apart from being good at it or otherwise, um, so it's it's not the misfits by any means. It's it's just an opportunity for kids that haven't found their liking in a be it a team sport or a, a individual sport like tennis or the traditional stuff like um, you know cricket, rugby, football, whatever it might be, hockey, tennis. Um, they can have a go at this and find that actually I can do this and I'm quite enjoying it. And, and that's why we're finding that we've now got. Um, I think there were. 100-and-something teams in the in the secondary school's team last year, uh, tournament last year. I'm not sure what the entries looked like for this year. Uh, it was going to be hosted by um, Auckland Bowls. Um, but we are hoping that we can host that event in December. And if we can have those sort of numbers again, that would be great. What we did manage to do this year, which hasn't been the case previously, was to include it in the New Zealand secondary school sports calendar. Um, so it was a, an official event in their in their sporting year um and so by having that in the calendar it it allowed its space to exist for anyone to be involved rather than crossing swords with with another event if you like so you know the teachers could look at it and say okay that doesn't clash with canoeing tennis orienteering whatever it might be we can get our kids playing this thing let's get down there and you know see who wants to do it so
0: Um, one of the other things we've had uh you mentioned there is yeah, that people with dif- uh, different um, athletic abilities can compete e- equally because, yeah, it, it's a skills-based sport as opposed to an athletics-based sport, um, yeah. which, uh, which is what makes it, um, you say makes it, so makes it rare amongst uh, sports, of, um, sporting codes, to be honest. Let's be honest. It's uh, almost it unique, a- I
2: think. I mean, you've got to go a long way to find one that isn't, that is as easy for people to play um, against anyone else, you know, standing, sitting, old, young, big, small, whatever it is, male, female, you know, anyone can play this thing as long as you can pick a bowl up or use something to pick a bowl up and send it down the other end. Um, We've got people that are blind playing the game. We've got people that are deaf playing the game. Um, It really is a game for, you know, all New Zealanders, really. So,
0: sorry, how do you, uh, if if, I've I've heard of blind football where they have a bell or inside the ball, how does it work with bowls?
2: So with bowls, and I'm I'm not an expert, but I have seen a a little bit of it because we included for the first time in our national singles and pairs event in Christchurch this year, we included um, disabled players, be they sight impaired or or physically disabled. Um, And what the blind players do, and there's a level, um, and I can't remember exactly, I think there's four levels of of sight impairment that that are um, world acknowledged, if you like, so Commonwealth Games level, you are level one, two, three, or four, um, and I think I'm right in saying that if you're level four, I can't remember which way around it is. But people that understand the game will will forgive me for not for not remembering this. But regardless, it's four levels. Um, level one, let's say it's level one, um, is no sight at all. Um, you might as well have a blindfold on. What they do, each of these players, whether they're in levels one, two, three or four, have what they call a director, which is a you or a me that stand with them and help them um, understand where they are in relation to the kitty at the other end of the, the green. Yep. Uh, they use clock face um, terminology to let them know where they need to deliver that bowl. Um, and they use a string down the centre of the green from before the first bowl is delivered so that the player can touch and find out where they are in terms of their line. And from there, with the clock face instruction, this is very basic Mm. that I'm giving you here, the clock face instruction will allow that player to deliver the bowl to three o'clock, six o'clock, you know, whatever it might be. And also, of course, the length. So the length of the kitty would be, you know, you've got a long jack, which is, you know, four metres off the end of the green rather than a closer one and, and the director provides all of that information. Now, some of the players that have got sight impairment have got some vision, tunnel vision, or peripheral vision only, and uh, you know, lack of peripheral vision, um, blurry vision, light, dark rather than just black, um, and, and they are graduated down depending on you know which level they play in. But but that's how they do it, and you'd be amazed how good they are. Um, it's extraordinary. So, thankfully
0: we were talking about the they use the exact same equipment as everybody else. They just yep. have someone describe. Yep. They have. They have an indicator as to which, um, as to where they're standing, you say that that central line, and everything yep. else is just described to them, as to as to as to how they should, as to where they need to aim yep. for, and um, yep. they can visualize that in their mind, and off they go. Wow, that's uh, that's very impressive.
2: Correct. Yeah, that's right. So they're lined up on the mat. Obviously, the director assists them to, you know, literally point the right way. Yep. Um, and once they're there, and they can touch the string, and they understand you know, through technique as much as anything else in practice, they understand, you know, what they're aiming at. Um, and like anyone, some of them are good and some of them are not as good, but they can all play it. Um, And then we've got um, the disabled community who are people who have got, you know, um, wheelchair-bound, limbs missing, mental um, or... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Not mentally impaired necessarily, but, but say, a cerebral palsy-type scenario where... You know mentally they're absolutely fine but their body is unable to to um, deliver the bowl as smoothly as as you know one of our top end high performance players might be that isn't physically disabled yep. um, um, but you know it, it's it's very it's absolutely amazing how how well these players can play and indeed compete against able bodied players that's the other cool thing about it um, and we saw that in our bowls 3-5 event. Some people will have seen this on TV last year where we had the, um, the para parajacks. we called them, our disabled national team, um, a selection of players from there um, who were playing in a competition with able-bodied people. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a great opportunity for us to showcase just exactly how available this game is to everybody.
0: Oh, and, you, and it's great that it's, they all take... They say you've, you have all the championships together at the same time. Um, so, from a community point of view, you can all you can all mix together if you're all playing with the same yeah with the same bowls with the same jacks. It's uh, so the challenges are uh, are very similar. They can you can yes you can all discuss uh, and yeah and, and play at a similar, similar level.
2: The absolutely and yet, sorry no, go on. No, I was, I was going to go and just
0: say that um, you've, we've already said that people at different uh, circuit can, can compete. So I was going to say uh, you do have men's and ladies. It's not uh, you're not you're not not a co-ed.
2: Or whatever. They, um... uh, no, or both. Really, um, we have men's, men's and women's events, and we have mixed events as well. So, um, just depending on what the format of any particular tournament or game might be um, at our national tournaments this year, we've, we've coming year, I mean, the coming season, uh, we're going to introduce a mixed pairs event to our national fours competition. So, in in the normal course of events, our national fours event would carry a men's section and a women's section and it will do that again but at the end of that fours competition we'll have i think it's a three-day event that we've pushed into the draft calendar um where we'll have it'll be a fours event again but it will be two men and two women as a team Um, and they will play against another two men and another two women Um, so that mixed um, opportunity is there not just in fours but in pairs and in triples um, and indeed in 3 five uh, tv event that I was mentioning a minute ago um, we had a minimum of one male and one female in each team so you might have two women and one guy or two guys and one female playing in in a team of three um, and that was the only way you could enter this event you, know, you had to have a mixed a mixed event so again it was just an opportunity to show that it's not about strength and you know how far you can have a Yep. You know, shot put or a, a javelin, or you know how high you can jump, or whatever it is. It's it's just about technique and getting the ball down the other end of the of the green. And you'd appreciate that men and women approach the game a lot of the time in the very similar way, and in others they have a very different approach. You know, they're not quite as aggressive. In general terms, the female players don't tend to drive as much, for example. Um, but in essence, it's it's just the same game being played. So it's um it's very involved. You know, or involving, I should say. Yeah. Cool. Um, So, the how do people find a club? I guess is the if they want to get
0: involved and try it out. Well, I guess
2: I guess the first prize there is to go to our website um, bowlsnewzealand.co.nz. We're in the process of tidying up exactly um, how people can locate a club, but at the moment, you can certainly go there. You'll find at the top of our um, menu options that there is a locate a club option. Um, and then you just plug in where you are, and that'll show you which clubs are available and, and a link to each of those clubs. Um, we are just tidying that up right now, so hopefully by the beginning of next season, uh, we'll be in a position where we can, you know, really make it easy for people to find not only a bowling club, but to find out what that club offers in the way of, you know, whether it be coaching or or social bowls or competitive bowls or you know, men's, women's, kids, whatever it might be. So. Um, that's a work in progress for us, but definitely they can find that on our website. Um, or just, in fact, jump on a computer and, and Google bowling clubs in my area and you'll you know, you'll know get a pretty decent look at that. Um, the only trick there, obviously, is that indoor bowls and 10-pin bowling might pop up under a Google search as well, whereas on our website you'll just get a, a pure um, bowling club response. So, hang on.
0: So, so indoor bowls?
2: So, indoor a- bowls is a different game altogether. Um, if you forget about um, for a moment, forget about what we well what we would call for the sake of this conversation outdoor bowls. Mm-hmm. You can play that indoors, but only on a green that is about the same size as an outdoor green. Um, so, a big indoor facility, basically forty meters square or thereabouts, um, as far as the green goes. Whereas indoor bowls per se, in, in inverted commas, as a sport, is played in a hall with multiple um, rolls of carpet, if you like, that are, and I may be getting this wrong, but I think 14 metres long and only um, the width of a single bed. Um, a couple of metres, of that. Um, not even that, probably one okay. one and a half metres, something like that. Um, and played kneeling on the floor um, with bowls that are not as big as, you know, an outdoor bowling, competition would involve but the theory is the same the bowls have a bias there's a kitty um, there's different rules obviously because when you've got 40 or 50 different games going on in the same hall you don't want people driving and you know having things spear off into the next game and whacking someone on the ankle but um, indoor bowls certainly has a lot of similarities with outdoor bowls and indeed a great cross-pollination of players between the two um, competitions or the two sports or codes um, and indeed,
0: but it's
2: not administrated the, by, by you guys. It's, there's, a, there's a separate Indoor Bowls New Zealand or whatever. Yes, there so. is. That's right. Um, having said that, uh, we're in the process of, of just talking with Indoor Bowls New Zealand about helping them with some of the work that they need to do in the administrative space that we also do. And, um, you know, there's a lot that we can achieve together because they still need to move people around the country, they still need to make bookings, they still need to. Have an AGM, they still need to, you know, do all of these things, and and there's a lot that we can achieve with them, and and that's something we're working on with them right now.
0: Oh, that's great to hear because the um, and it does appear that sports in New Zealand seems to be uh, seems to be more collaborative than I've seen it in in some, some other countries where it can be, uh, well, basically not get on with each other at all. Um, but I was talking to someone here about, yeah. about about mountain biking and uh, and road biking now they are very different uh, audiences and different people. You tend to do one or the other, but at, at an administration level, they seem to be, they, they, they're they on the same website. They seem to work together. Um, so yeah, it's good to see the, the, that collaboration between the two sports, which could easily have turned into a, a, a competition to try and grab as many players as possible.
2: Yeah, that's right. I, I think um, the difference, or the, apart from the size of the bowls and the fact that you play it indoors all of the time, the major difference between indoor bowls and outdoor bowls is that there isn't a club Facility for indoor bowls. They tend to hire facilities, so a community hall or, you know, whatever it might be, gymnasium that they will then utilise for their club. There is there are clubs, but they don't necessarily have a clubhouse as as our bowling clubs do. So that that's a marked point of difference between them. Um, I think the point you raise is right though around um, the way that our sports generally operate and are pretty collaborative and it's about scale really I mean there's only four or five million people in this country and you know if you if you have a look at any sport um, apart from a few that have got a you know a really huge number of, of people playing and, and being invested in the game um, it's just a matter of trying to make it work as you say for bikes or swimming or um, you would expect that you um, I don't know, rowing or something like that. You know, there's a whole lot of different ways you can row a boat down a down a lake, but um, rowing New Zealand um, don't have canoeing and kayaking New Zealand and all this sort of stuff. They just, you know, they are one entity. Yep. Whereas in other countries, I expect that, you know, that's not the case because they've got economies, well, a greater scale of people that are playing and, and therefore they can justify a bigger, bigger um, you know, wider administrative base. Um so, look, well, you know, it's practical, isn't it? If, if we can work with indoor bowls and, and we're working in a lot of cases with similar and, and the same people, um, then we can share from each other as well and learn from each other and, and potentially gain um, sponsors together, etc., etc. So that's, yeah, we haven't got underway with that yet, but we're about to, we hope. And um, away we go and we'll see where it ends up. Oh,
0: good luck with that. Um, and, thank uh, you. Thank you. Very much your time. Is there anything else that uh, that I've kind of missed, or that you'd like to talk say about bowls?
2: Oh, I think I think the key message that we're trying to get out there right now is that um, it is a game for everyone, um, and there are very few people that play it and don't enjoy it. Um, even if it's just a a Christmas function for the twenty five people in the office or whatever it might be, um, it's one of the few games where you can come down and everyone's on the same literally on a level playing field. You know, it's not like, oh, I can't play golf or I can't, you know, shoot hoops in a basketball court. Um, if you've got people in an office and, and there's a business that's also got, you know, a factory and a, and, a, you know, all the rest of it. So you've got a real cross-section of, of the community. All of those people, just about guaranteed, can play bowls and they can play against each other and be competitive with each other, more or less. Um, there's not too many other codes that you can do that with and um and it's a really cost effective option for businesses and social groups and so forth to just come and have some fun with so whether it's a christmas function or a 40th birthday or a 50th wedding anniversary or whatever it is um it's tailor-made for just giving people a bit of fun rather than just sitting around on a seat and you know eating and drinking you can do that too but you can do that after you've had a
1: game.
0: well uh, i've um, uh, probably not in the, uh, on the on on the first green, but on some of the artificial greens, I'm sure that having uh, you can eat, even you can have a nice uh, a chilli bin at each end as well um, to have. Oh yeah, very definitely. Um, yeah, so absolutely.
2: Yeah. No, it's a very community focused social experience, and um, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's addictive, and uh, you know the, there's a number of people who said, "Oh God, I wish I'd taken it up 20 years ago." You know, the beauty with this is. You don't have to, you can take it up now and play it until you drop because it's it's a game that can be played, as I say, from cradle to grave. It's, my dad's been playing since he was younger than me um, in his 40s. I think he was when he started and he's now nearly 90 and he's still playing. So there's not too many sports, you know, that you can do that with and, and remain competitive. So it's it's a bit special and, uh, and we're very proud of the game and, and we want to make sure people can get the opportunity to really enjoy it. Great.
0: Thank you very much for your time. Um, Folks, don't forget to to like uh, or subscribe if you're using the podcast or or the Facebook page or hit the bell and all that kind of stuff on YouTube. Uh, And uh, coming up, I've uh, got Mike Rogers from the Bay of Plenty Rugby. I've got uh, volleyball in New Zealand. Um, I've got some ex-rugby players. I've got uh, some some, some current rugby coaches as well lined up. So do stick around. There's lots of interesting people still to come on the long talk.